Hi everyone, today we're going to be talking about Oppenheimer, so spoilers ahead. Yeah, by the way, um, they hit Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Not that, not those types of spoilers. We're talking about the film spoilers. But it happens at the end of the film. I'm a real. I'm. I'm. A, well, now they know that. Okay. Well, well first they spoiler. So spoilers. It's history. Spoilers coming in three, two, one. So, boys, how are we doing? Yeah, very good, man. We've all just we've all watched Oppenheimer. Um, we've oh. watched it the true sense, just the film. Whereas Patty went Barbie Oppenheimer. Or was I it did. Oppenheimer Barbie? Barbie Oppenheimer. Actually, Ugh. legend has it that Patty watched Oppenheimer live in nineteen forty. <laughs> yeah, in nineteen forty-five. Yes. yes, I have. I, yes, don't I, was know. There. I don't know how he did it, but I was there. I I used that old um that that paragraphica to. Go back in time. And oh take God, a photo. not that AI. Idea. Yes, the the old AI photo. Did you hear about this the other uh, James? Was you weren't here? You just got back from. Italy. Oh, welcome back, by the way, James. Yeah, welcome back always. to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. I was I was always here in spirit. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, who Jimmy TPT? I Jimmy was fucking sick of this. I was <laughs> I was there at the bombing. You were there with Mussolini. It's all good. We're all back in time at one point. <laughs> I was just at home. You were just at home. Just <laughs> no one invited me out on Friday night, so I just played Switch. You were being, you were being hacked into by Santa, mate. We don't forget that podcast. Santa. Oh, that's right. What? <laughs> no, that's a long one. Anywho, uh, hey. uh, let's let's talk about Oppenheimer. So, um, Patty, well, who is Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer, J. Robert Opp- Oppenheimer, is a uh, physicist. Yes, is American a, physicist. A co- no, a theoretical physicist who is basically the godfather of the uh, nuclear warfare atomic bomb father of the atomic bomb i think was his official title in time magazine which was displayed in the film and i just want to like kick off this five seconds say i don't think it's fair how like renowned scientists get these names you look at fritz harbour the uh father of chemical warfare and now oppenheimer the father of the atomic bomb they didn't do anything wrong they just had a job and they followed it Oh, it's I mean, like again, it's also, about it's about moral conflict. Yeah, comp- if you comp- go to yeah. any of like the old, what was the trials, the Nuremberg trials? I was just following orders. Doesn't hold up in his excuse. Just doing your job doesn't hold up. It does. Uh, that uh, wouldn't be uh, my uh, argument. Actually, I, I wouldn't use that argument because yeah. I think the uh, the only reason that argument could be made for these guys is because they were on the winning side. Of a war, yeah. Well, I think it wasn't that they wanted America to have a bomb; they just didn't want Nazi to have one they, first. That was also was, Russia. It, it was yeah. a race. It was a race yeah. to be the better yeah. army, I guess. But, but I, the, I think before we kick off, I should probably sum up the uh, okay. The movie mm-hmm. movie is based on a 2005 biogra- biography called American Prometheus by Kai Bird and Martin J. Sherman, and it chronicles the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer during the Manhattan Project yeah. and afterwards. Yeah. And the, the, the mention there of was American Prometheus. Yes. The so uh, I'm sure you both are very much aware I'm into my Greek mythology and I have two gods that I love. No way. Yes. Two that I specifically really like. Even when I went to Greece, I went out looking for them. Um, the first being Hephaestus. And Diodides. No. Hephaestus is my favorite god too. Yeah, everyone loves Hephaestus. We're, we're very forged guys. Shit. Yeah, we're build stuff. We're engineers. He, yeah. he associates with engineering. Well, I, I got you an Apollo statue. I got myself I did, a Hephaestus yeah. statue. Well, that's because I, I won the Apollo award. The yeah. Apollo. <laughs> I got design. a bottle opener. <laughs> but my other god that I love, and technically he's not a god, he's a titan because he came before, he was part of the Titanomachy, not before the Greek mythology. But Prometheus was a titan before Zeus. He's like the uncle effectively zeus's uncle but he went against zeus's wishes and took the fire of Hephaestus and quite, gave it to humans sorry jake is Kronos' brother uh no 
Kronos is Zeus's brother. I thought Kronos was Zeus's father. Nope. Okay. Oh no, Kronos is. I'm thinking of Hades. Sorry, you're completely right. Hades is the brother of Prometheus. Yes. Oh. So there's like okay. twelve Titans, twelve, and then twelve other gods. Anyways, the point being is, Prometheus went against Zeus's wishes, created man, and was told you can't let them go beyond this. Prometheus went against the wishes, gave them fire, which is a metaphor for curiosity, for passion, to develop. It was the next step of evolution, and Prometheus gave it to them. At that point, the genie was out of the bottle. Humanity almost overthrew the gods with mm. this fire that they were given. And to be called the Prometheus of science, the American Prometheus, the idea of giving them a small bit of technology that could then control and destroy the world is a very apt name. I really like the he name. That's very comparable to Elon Musk in the sense that he's very strict on creating AI but not letting it get past a certain algorithm. Yeah, he's he's Zeusy. He's very Zeusy in that sense. <laughs> and as we know, and Zeus has been known to not keep in his pants, which is another thing that he shares with Elon Musk. So. Uh, well, <laughs> if you can't tell, we're trying Nine to get Elon kids Musk on the show. Not 11, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Elon, if, you, if you're hearing this one, <laughs> shout out. But it is a very interesting thing. And the, the very start of that movie makes a reference to the Prometheus line there of... It's a quote. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, a, no, it's a description of what Prometheus was. And the idea was it's drawing a metaphor or two Oppenheimers giving of the atomic bomb to the world because once he gave it out, couldn't pull back in. And no matter how much had he tried. Yeah, and it was the research, right? Like, looking once they mm. figured out how to split the atom, it was yeah. just like, shit, we know how to split the atom. This is yeah. catastrophic for the whole entire world. But that's the thing is uh, Oppenheimer didn't split the atom. He didn't, no. No, 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 the, the Germans did a few years hand, uh, before, but the idea behind it, and this is like, was it, uh, I forgot the two that did it. It was Albert Einstein and another Leo Silzar, I think, who wrote to uh, the President Roosevelt saying, oh no, the Nazis might have a bomb. Not because they wanted America to have a bomb, they just didn't want the Nazis to have that weapon. They didn't want to be able to yeah. create it first, yeah. And that's why they yeah. had the Manhattan Project, like a big team of people together yeah. to see that through. To take out the Nazis. But the, but the science behind it was quite interesting, just to di- diverge for a bit, is the only they tried to fire protons originally at the nucleus to try and split the atom, but they were like, hang on a minute, a proton has a positive charge, so it's being, it's gonna be heavy. Re- it's being repelled by the nucleus because it's positive and positive, whereas a neutron... No charge at all. No charge at all. So that's when, like, wait, why don't we fire a neutron instead and see what happens? So, Patty, effectively what's happening is, imagine, imagine I break this table in half, right? And then a small bit of that table comes off and mm-hmm. decides to keep breaking parts of that table. And yeah. effectively, this table is shattered into a million pieces. That's effectively what's happening. Yeah, I've, I've described nuclear fission or the nuclear bomb specifically as the AL, AL, ALS challenge, the ice bucket challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way a nuclear fission works is you break an atom and it splits off and fires off new neutrons and it hits three other atoms. And then they'll split and then they'll, each of those make three. So now you've got nine a- neutrons Like, like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. yeah, the same, pretty much. The AL, exactly ALS, right. right? You get ice bucket, then you challenge three people. Even if one of those three people don't do it, the other two people do. Then you've got six. Oh, then if, yeah, well, yeah, assuming yeah. you had nine, then you've got 27. Then you go to, uh, I forgot, the next multiple would be 104? No. I'm not uh, here. Yeah, anyways, the point being is it's like 81, sorry. <laughs> Jesus, I'm way off. But the idea behind it is, is you create a tree of like a, quite a exponentially increasing reaction. Yeah. ALS challenge is just a visual metaphor for it. But that in a nuclear scale, you see this very small thing and it just blow apart and increase. And the, the one thing that I really, really liked was the whole... 
we're not 100% certain this won't end the planet. They were close. They were like, oh, it's like... It's ninety nine point like, nine, almost zero percent. That'll happen. Zero point one percent is yeah, gonna yeah. happen, but just let yeah. you know, it's it's there. yeah. So yeah, coming back to you mentioned Albert Einstein. It was uh, Leo Szilard and Szilard, also yeah. Eugene Wigner. So they were the ones who warned the U.S. government that the Nazis could be the first to develop this yeah. bomb. And Szilard was in the film. He said, "Please don't drop them on the Japanese." He was he was like, "We don't want the Nazis to have a bomb." Then he said, "I don't want the U.S. to use their bomb." I found the argument to drop it on Japan quite pot. Was like, dude, Japan's not going to surrender even if we threaten them. They're just they're yeah. just not going to. It's like, mm. how do well, you know they're not I, going to? Well, the thing is, they didn't really. I, it's been a, it's been a few weeks since I actually seen the film, so I don't know if they actually brought it up in the uh, in that scene. But I think a lot of it was just also like, oh, you guys hit us, we're going to hit you back because they're the ones that hit Pearl Harbor. It, no, it wasn't not that necessarily. Time. It was just like they were just worried Japan weren't going to fold, and it was like, yeah. this is the only way we no. can get them to fold. Which. Not a war general. I can't speculate on what Japan would have done, but it just didn't justify. No, uh, look, there's there's two sides of the argument that. Um, so the the whole point of Oppenheimer was the viewpoint from the scientific community, or specifically Oppenheimer's perspective, and he was representative, like the face, like he said, the father of something. He was the face of everything for yeah. that side of things. And in the movie, they said, "Oh, we have good information. The Japanese won't surrender." Now, if you look at Japan before this, they were training kids up in bayonet training. Seven-year-olds in bayonet training up until the war. They knew the Americans were going to come in, like they were on all the islands all the way up to Japan, and they were going to land on the southern coast with 200,000, bigger than Normandy, on the beaches of Japan. Yeah. They had kids trained in grenades to run under tanks. They, like, the Japanese were fanatical, and they knew the closer they got to Japan, the harder they fought. Like Okinawa was just brutal. Guam, brutal. So they knew once they hit Japan yeah. on the mainland, they weren't going to surrender. And what they didn't mention was Russia was one month from invading Japan. So if America didn't win that war then, they would have lost Japan. So they wanted to be the ones to finish the war. So even though the movie doesn't show it, there was a political way that America wanted to win. And they wanted to win straight away. They didn't want to lose their troops. And they had a bomb in the back pocket. Why not throw it? Which is annoying because in the film, they just go... Oh, thanks for building the bomb. Pat on the back, Oppenheimer. And then immediately drop the bomb Slap without you any bomb. Thanks for it. Yeah. I'll take it now. Yeah, like legit. He went straight to dropping the bomb on the cities. And the only reason they, they said, can you not drop it on an island next to Japan just to show what would happen? They went, nope, doesn't work that way. Do anything, yeah, yeah. yeah, we need to drop it straight they away. They did. I love the, um, I think the, uh, the guy's name. The, 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 the sort of, he was like in charge of, okay. Yeah. I'm sort of, it was, he was in charge of the room. I don't know. You, pro- you probably this, have all the is names. Is this the general? No, he, this is like the senator. I was going to say Leslie, but no, Leslie that's 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 the... my Damon. But he was the one that was like, he started excluding cities. Like, it can't be Tokyo. It can't be yeah. Kyoto because of the historical. Oh yes, yes, yes. Instances. Um, was like Osaka was a potential one. <laughs> this is what he was like. Oh, he was like Kyoto. Actually, me and my wife went on a honeymoon there. Lovely place. You should go check it out. Is it, was... is it very, hist- very, um, uh, <laughs> very spiritual and. Uh, important to the Japanese people so we don't want to do that it's like where can we do it I think it was give me options I think it was Vannevar Bush thank you Um, so he was the uh, representative on Oppenheimer's work to the Manhattan Project at the then President Roosevelt and he was the one who advised um, Truman on the the atomic bomb uh, against Japan so he was the one that was like, "Yeah, don't hit Kyoto," because my I went. I, uh, I went for no. I don't think it was him because that was uh he was also in another movie. So I don't think it was that guy. He was just Vannevar Bush. No, I don't think that was that's that's Matthew Bodine. No, Vannevar Bush is a is a person, not the actor. No, I mean, but 
I, uh, it was um, Secretary of War Henry Stimson. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. He was the one that did it. Sorry. Yep, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Um, okay, actually, um, I didn't really know much about... Uh, story-wise, I liked the movie. I think mm-hmm. it was great, but we don't want to like spend all day talking about the movie. So what it, scientifically did you guys take away from it? What did I not tell you? I, I, you go <laughs> first, Jimmy. I go second. Well, like I, I've been reading a, a book by Stephen Hawking like recently called A Brief History of Time. Um, and they talk a lot about black holes and white dwarfs and neutron stars. Mm. So what I found most interesting is like Oppenheimer actually didn't really enjoy his life before the research of... He actually researched black holes. He studied electrons and subatomic particles. He found it quite boring. Yeah. Soon after quantum theory was released. But he was like the first person to ever mathematically start to prove black holes because black holes could never be proved through looking into space. You can't see a black hole. Light can't escape it. It can only prove mathematically... So he was the first one to suggest, well, when a star collapses after it stops using all its hydrogen, yeah, it can go into a white dwarf or a neutron star, but when the particles are so fast, the gravity becomes so strong, where does it go? Everything collapses in. So he was so close to actually proving that mathematically and you know, he released papers on it, but he got pulled out to do research on the atomic bomb, like mm. literally during that during that past. So he like he never like won any like prizes or Nobel Peace Prizes or anything like that, but he's that was my favorite thing scientifically, but just because I love space, but I found yeah. it so interesting. Um, and also how another thing being called a fool by Albert Einstein, like towards the end for attending the tribunal. Um, yeah. This is not so sci- like much scientific, but between scientists, Albert Einstein and Oppenheimer, like they had, uh, I'd say an odd relationship. I'd see it as like a It, close it was a professional relationship. I mean, they were both brilliant men in yeah. their fields and what they did with that brilliance was very different. Yeah. Yeah. One was to open the door of Pandora and the second was to use the weapon that Pandora yes, had opened. Yes, that's a good way of explaining it. And yeah. then when he found out he was going to that tribunal, he just goes, you're a Vard, which is like a fool in Yiddish or whatever. Yeah. Languages they speak. It, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty lovely. I kind of like the, those references. The, the, the kind of like human side of science, which is yeah. what these men represented. Because it, most of it was men. It was mm-hmm. only a handful of scientists that were women that were allowed to be on the Manhattan Project. I mean, exactly. it's the 1940s. But the, the, for me, it was the, the reference of like some real heavyweights in the chemical field and the quantum theory. I mean, yeah. Albert Einstein, Shout the famous... Shout out to Lily Hornig, who was, I think, one of the only females on the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. Well, she's in the movie. She was like the only. Yeah. What was her? What was what was her role in the film again? The plut- she was in the plutonium. Plut- yeah, she got yeah. moved to plutonium right after Teller had a bit of a fit at yeah, the yeah. prima donna. But then, like Niels Bohr, Rutherford, Heisenberg, huge. Yeah, like for, for people who don't study science, it's not much. But these are the people oh, that created everyone. Knows. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> you don't know the real, the real Heisenberg. Heisenberg. <laughs> Heisenberg's real like contribution to like quantum mechanics and the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Meth. Yeah, okay, well, no, the see, un- this is the shit, that shits, <laughs> it shits me so much when people are like, <laughs> meth Heisenberg, but it's like, Heisenberg did so much. Yeah. Like, his uncertainty principle led the way. Like, Schrodinger's cat is just an extension of this, this topic. The 100%. ideas of how we picture and put the universe together dramatically changed on, like, four or five of these people. Yeah. Like, by the time, it was 20 years after, it was like 20 years after relativity was delivered was the nuclear bomb which dropped or something like that, like 15, 20 years. Yeah. So in a very short period of time, we accelerated our understanding of the universe like tenfold. And it was off the back of a time when we invested heavily in research. Yeah. 
and it ah, oh, but like they, mm, these guys are again. like the fathers of cosmology, like talking Each about one, yeah. uncertainty principle, like particles destroying yeah. antiparticles and stuff. It doesn't sound like much, but it's the yeah. reason we know what we do. Today. Yeah, the Bohr one. Like, how did you know that was Neil Bohr when he came into the room? By the yeah, way? you kind of so James missed it because he was a bit, uh, he was in a bit of traffic before you came into the film. Yeah, but he mentioned Niels Bohr. There's a, a lecture on it, and I went, <gasps> Bohr's here, and Bohr, uh, which is a, a lecturer, he advised Oppenheimer. Hmm, you're not really good with maths, but you can see the universe, right? Like yeah. you can see no, the music. Practically, you're not good at the practical stuff. Why are you here then? You yeah. You do the theoretical stuff. Yeah. He goes, yeah, then, oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, I think that was true. He said, well, but you can understand the rhythm of the universe. You can understand the music, how it all clicks together. Yeah. In that time, Oppenheimer had studied through Europe, had a real taste of poetry and literature and music, but he could understand the harmonics of it all and how it all clicked together. And he was like throwing glasses against a wall just to see how things would work. Yeah. That kind of investigative mind, the way you could imagine black holes, well beyond he doing the maths behind it, but just imagining how things can click using the laws of physics. Yeah. It was brilliant to see this in person. These are people that do not get enough recognition well, in real life. This is the guy who literally, like, we use his model of the atom to teach kids how, Still, how yeah. atoms uh, like work. Which one? Niels Bohr. Niels Bohr, yeah. Like yeah. Bohr's model of the atom. And I can relate to that because we've both done a thesis and the relationship you have with your professor, because really, your research is mm. based on what they've discovered. You're doing an extension of that. Yeah. So you know, it's a, it's a very weird relationship. It's like, you kind of envy them, but you kind of hate them at the same time because they're giving you so much work, but then you look up to them. At least that's how I've always looked at, mm. like, you know, the, the higher-ups in, in who I've been working for. A, in a real mentor-mentee yeah. sort yeah. of dynamic. Yeah, exactly right. So it was beautiful seeing that back on film and something to uh, definitely appreciate. But yeah, so like coming back to... I mean, we both talk about the science parts of it, but that's why he was picked to like lead the Manhattan Project because of his ambition and breadth of knowledge and his ability to talk it. Yeah, you, know, you see a lot of people working in STEM who just don't have that talking ability. Yeah. Who was the guy who was working with when he like quits like halfway through? Like he walks in, um, so Leslie walks in the general and just like yells him, goes, "You can't talk to me like that." And goes, "Oh yeah, uh, was it? It might have been. It was not the um, the the bloke that the UK provided." Carl I, I, I believe, yes, I believe he, he was the British one. It, like that's what you German physicist. Oh, I've got him. German physicist Klaus Carl Fuchs um, worked as Los Alamos. Was a uranium enrichment, um, uh, and then, but he turns out to be the spy. Yeah, and I mean, this is not like a film analysis, but you had him on one end of the spectrum, which most engineers get depicted as like that nerdy side of it. But then you had Oppenheimer, mm. who's just like the sorry, cigarette I'm, smoking I'm, I'm sorry, organizer. I'm sorry to make this comparison, the Tommy mm. Shelby of the. Um, oh, the it's... Just because it's silly. I know, I know. Yeah. I just I Actually, had to go there. But to be honest, um, Oppenheimer, he slept with anything with legs. Like, oh, he, yeah. like he had a history of being a womanizer. He slept with so many people in the, the Communist Party. I would call him the Red Menace. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so a little, little behind the scenes of that joke, he was like, oh, I've got a great joke, Patty. A great joke for the yeah. podcast. I don't know when I'll bring it up, but I'll make sure you'll, you'll yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. He, but he slept with everyone. <laughs> I mean, if you are a a rock star in your field, be that a actual like musician rock star or a brilliant scientist, why wouldn't you? Did you know who also was a womanizer? Albert Einstein. He slept with everyone. He got so many divorces. The dude slept with anyone. I mean, yeah. it probably helped with his concentration. You know, it's, this guy was bloody... oh, look. People like people focus in different ways. That's the that's their cup of tea. That's fine. 
Yeah, yeah. people would definitely went after Albert for his looks, which is definitely his brain and how much yeah. money he would have been making for. Bro, that moustache though, just oh, oh so, yeah, that, mm. the famous, that famous crazy hair. Mm. <laughs> I was thinking, mm. what else from the film do you think was not depicting of like scientific accuracy? Or do you think it was well done? Well, can I hop in here and just bring up a side note to that? So one go, of the go. physicists that helped um, work on this movie, his name was David Salzberg. Um, and so he actually contributed to the calculations they showed on the blackboards and stuff and talking about the theories, you know, making sure what they said was scientifically accurate. Now, do you know when they drop the bomb, like why it took longer? Like, you know, when you watch a movie and they drop a bomb, it's quite instant, right? It's yeah. just like, do you know why it took a while? They wanted to replicate like the velocity, how long it actually takes to drop a bomb somewhere. And mm. they were like, how long like would it be? And he just like forgot. He goes, I don't know. So embarrassed because when you study physics, you learn that in the first week of physics. So because he was so invested in like... The events, more advanced theoretical physics, he was like... Hey, what? How do I do like this basic calculus? He, he just forgot like a velocity calc, like how like a three, four, how, three meters per second speed of sound versus speed of light. Yeah, he just forgot how long it t- would take for a bomb of a certain mass to drop, and he was just like, he, he ended up remembering in the end, but yeah. he just couldn't recall it. And I appreciated that because it's definitely happened to me before. You like doing all this complex stuff that you just forget what one plus one is. Oh, and then you go and calculate like, well, yeah, three plus five, yeah. eight. Okay, just double checking. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, not not really a scientific inaccuracy, but like it's. Mm. <laughs> yeah. on, on that on that timing thing, I do have a bit of a trivia fact. So when in the bunker, when they're about to blow up the like the bomb, Oppenheimer says they'll know if the bomb is successful in one hour and fifty eight minutes. Yeah, the bomb goes off in the movie at. One hour, 58 minutes. That's very Christopher Nolan, like, though, isn't it? That exact, like, on the dot. I love Christopher. I just... Yeah, he just... just <sighs> timing. Timing perfectly. Yeah. yeah. The, the guy's not human. Speaking of trivia, you had a really good one on the commentary by Truman, Patty. Oh, yes. So, I like the movie for a different reason. Because mm. you guys are coming from more of a scientific point of view. I'm kind of coming from a storytelling. So, because I, I knew nothing about Robert going into it. I knew nothing about Oppenheimer. I was like, I'll... I need to let the movie tell me it's this the job the movie has one job and it's to tell me his life mm, and yeah. at least like this dynamic between him and Lewis Strauss and yeah. also the Manhattan Project mm. and there's a scene with Gary Oldman who plays Harry Truman he is only only in it for maybe two minutes barely barely two minutes and as he's leaving he's and during the meeting Oppenheimer's very he's crying not crying but he's like I don't he's, I, he's I, broken I, he's he, devastated he is he's clearly He's clearly traumatized by the fact that I think I've caused the death of hundreds of thousands well, of people. Yeah, and he, he and looked, Truman's like, no one's going to remember you, bro. I'm the, I'm the one who president. dropped it. I'm the, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm the hot, one that made dog. the yeah. decision so, to drop it. And then yeah. as he's leaving, Truman says the line, don't you ever bring that crybaby back here ever again to one of his yeah. cabinet members. To, to quote what he said, he goes, I feel like I've got blood on my hand. Yeah. And then Truman takes out his handkerchief and was like, you built it yeah. and dropped it. But it's like that line that you said, the crybaby line, historically accurate. I don't know if it was, it wasn't at that exact time, but he did say them. Yeah. About Oppenheimer, because he was a crybaby. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm mean, no, sorry. The, <laughs> it the guy's work just killed 120,000. No, I'm, I'm joking. Fair about enough. You put, no. you put yourself in his shoes. He yeah. worked over three years on this thing, plus the many years of research yeah. before. You're going to be broken. You're just like, I've spent all my life yeah. contributing to something that's. Mm. Still causing mass devastation today yeah. because everyone now has a nuclear bomb in their backyard. 
always but i mean we i've said this before on the podcast and i'll say it again the nuclear bomb heralded in and this is in uh, i think uh one of the books that we've read it heralded in the the smoothest like section of peace in our history oh yeah yeah since then we have not had a world global conflict we've had skirmishes like vietnam korea and more recently the russian but, but nothing that warrants war. but nothing, nothing that yeah. if you're gonna do it then you can't leave you can bring in all your allies and have yeah. a mass pylon yeah. you don't see that anymore it's and good- even now they're like the, the the war that's currently going on with ukraine and russia everyone's tiptoeing to make sure russia doesn't use their nukes Was it- so regardless of what happens there's just a new level of politics that were broadened by this technology. It's if we're basically living in a world where everyone is on the itchy trigger finger, being like, "If you're gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. If you're gonna do yeah. it, I'm gonna do it." So we've been in this standoff with every single yeah. nation for the past ninety years. The scientific term is mad, mutually mad. assured destruction. The in the movie they actually mention it kind of, but they say we're two scorpions in a bottle. We can kill the other scorpion, but the other scorpion will probably kill us too. So they are the whole idea of the once the technology is out of the bottle, you can't pull it back in, which is terrifying. Um, uh, something of trivia as well I saw, and this is kind of cute. So in December of, uh, 16th, 2012, um, for those who aren't aware, the movie revolves around the, the building of the bomb and then his clearance being pulled out yeah, by yeah, being yeah. discredited by um, Andrew, who was it, Strauss? Louis Strauss. Louis Strauss, yeah, yeah, who was trying to go for the US um, Secretary of Commerce. Um, but then this history got pulled in and then he turns out he was politically attacking Oppenheimer and eventually took his security clearance away, which means he can no longer work in the AEC, the Atomic Energy Council. In December 16, 2022, it was posthumously reinstated, uh-huh. his, his security clearance. So in the end, it's one of those awards on the, the pedestal of their, of their tomb kind of thing. That's a lot of people nowadays. The same thing happened to Alan Turing. When, yeah, Alan, I mean, after Imitation Game, probably around the time that book was written of the Imitation it, it Game. Was, it, was, it was around, I haven't actually before the movie. Yeah, well, no, I'm saying the, the, the yeah. movie's based on the book. Yeah. But it's yeah. also a lot of people during that time because like red, there was a lot of red fever going around. People were just scared. Mm. So we thought, so everyone was like, okay, I guess we now need to, uh, you know, start thanking all the people, even though they've probably passed away and we treated them terribly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's disappointing because like, like, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> Turing, Oppenheimer, these are some people who did, were told in the time of war we need you to take what your work and make it so we can save lives by killing others. Can I, and also, can I just say, I love Kitty Oppenheimer. Kitty Oppenheimer, what a legend. She yeah. was just like, uh, the fact that she didn't shake Edward Teller's hand, which happened At in real end. life. In real life, that there was, um, okay, so Edward Teller was a scientist in the Manhattan Project. He was, he was a Hungarian... Um, he was a Hungarian-born scientist, moved over. He was known as a Martian for it was like a group of scientists that came over to study, um, I guess, science. I don't know that. But anyway, he was in the, in the project. Afterwards, he negatively um, smeared Oppenheimer during yeah. the, um, his decision to get um, basically blacklisted. Yeah. So he was like, he, they, they, he, they he, helped, over he the... helped in that fact. Yeah. And then at one stage, he shakes off Robert Oppenheimer's hand when he gets a nomination, you know, years later in the 60s, mm. tries to shake Kitty's hand. Kitty rebuffs him. In real life, he went home and started, and cried for weeks. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a top wife. That is a top that, wife. That's someone you want in your corner. It was right? like, I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to forgive him yet. She's not going to. No. But I mean, he's, he's been the bigger man. She's just been... The wife of like, I will support you. No. I will not forgive him on your behalf. Yeah, so that's been supportive. I love it. Mm. Another bit of trivia was there was a relationship that he had. He had a mistress, um, Jean Tatlock, who was like another member of the Communist Party. 
the bomb itself was called the Trinity Bomb because it's named after a, a three-handed god, right? She was the one that introduced him to the poem by John Doe, whose sonnet was Batter My Heart, Three Personed, O God. So the, the bomb was an inspiration, was named after her. That's the thinking, by the way. It's pretty fucking wild. I also liked how they didn't really depict because in real like in real life there's so much speculation over her death because they don't know if she did commit suicide if she didn't or if someone if she was killed by some of the uh, government agents that were kind of watching over yeah. um, the communist community at the time. Wait, you're talking about the mistress or Kitty? Yeah, so mistress. the Florence Pugh's character. Yeah. Also, what a way to uh, say the most famous line in the world. The the I've become I'm death, death destroyer worlds. Oh. Yeah, I was not I mean, expecting that. I was not expecting that. I'm not sure if that's historically accurate. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> but overall, it's it is an interesting piece because at I, won't, a time, I won't say we won't say what what happened like when the line was said. We'll let you, we'll let. <laughs> what you we're, we're, not gonna, we're not going to say what happens in the movie. But it just, is Patty's yeah. explicit opinion. This is the greatest the line. Greatest ever line of all time. <laughs> it's nah, most historically not. accurate thing ever. I, would right? just, I just watched it. It was like. Hmm, I don't think this is historically accurate. Oh, is that what you were thinking at the time? I was actually, I honestly thought, I thought, okay, there's, there's no way that they're going to go stop in the middle of sex and get a book. I don't know, Patty, but this is why you're here. You're here to check historical accuracy. We're here to I'm check not. scientific You guys accuracy. are here. Oh, no, maybe, I don't care, maybe, about, maybe I don't care about history. Sean, yeah. I know Sean likes history. I, don't, I love my history. I like just the science. Yeah, Patty, you were, no, you're Patty's not here for historical accuracy. He wants to put in Marvel references into this podcast. I do. There's yeah, no yeah, way yeah. you're going to be able to put in Marvel references it's into just, this. It's just the fact that Robert Downey Jr. is <laughs> in this movie. Oh, yeah, he plays Tony Stark, his, who's Tony Stark's father, Howard Stark. What did Howard Stark work on in the 40s? The Manhattan Project. Are you happy now? Wait, did he though? In, in comic lore, he did. Interesting. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> anywho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Any- I think we'll, we'll end off. The, there's a comment that you wanted to finish on. The, the reference that James has raised is that um, he was the father of the atomic bomb. And after that genie got out of the bottle, you couldn't put it back in. And that was made reference a few times. Now, Patty, you've got a more, more recent reference uh, similar in, in vain, No. Uh, I do actually, I do. I saw this uh, news article that uh, Jeffrey Hinton, who is known as the godfather of AI, has quit Google after over a decade expressing regret over his life's work and warning of dangers ahead. He quotes to say, I console myself with the normal excuse, if I hadn't done it, somebody else would have. I, that's actually probably the line I was going to go to as yep. well, that science has a natural rule of progression. And we've talked about it before. An axe is a tool to chop down a tree, but you can take out a head. A splitting of an atom can power a city or it can take it out. So a tool can be a weapon. It's just how you use it. Science is always going to just be a tool. How you use, if you use it as a weapon, that's your call. But as far as we can tell, it's a tool that will, will be developed anyway. So it'll be interesting to see where we go if AI will take over and AI will start doing podcasts for us. Who knows? Who knows?